Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping people become more resilient so they're better able to deal with the adversity of life. In today's episode, I'll be exploring strategies that you, me, anyone can put into practice to persuade anyone. Now, what I'm not talking about is beating people over the head with a particular topic. As a Christian, one of the things that I find somewhat off-putting about other Christians is that whenever they speak with non-believers and they find out that that person is a non-believer, they start thumping their Bible and beat them over the head with it. And it's extraordinarily off-putting because it pretty much ends the conversation. So that serves as an example of what not to do whenever we attempt to persuade anyone. And a truism about human behavior is that we don't give things to other people without a good reason. Another way of saying that is we have to be motivated, at least on some level, to give others something. It it could be money, it could be our time, it could be love, it could be a promotion or a raise, whatever. And it's irrational to believe otherwise. So convincing someone to give you something requires that you provide a good reason for them to give it to you, or at least a good enough reason. Thus, the most effective way to get someone to give you something is through the psychology of persuasion. Now, I'm going to outline six ways you can persuade anyone. And bear in mind that it may take more than one approach used simultaneously, especially if you're trying to sell an idea that is inconsistent with another person's long-held belief, such as politics or religion. I mean, these things come to mind right away. So the first thing is projecting confidence, not arrogance. So first of all, the more confident you are, the more convincing your arguments are going to sound. I mean, that, that that's just fundamental. A study from the University of Leicester found that the single significant behavioral difference between persuaders and persuadees was in the expression of confidence. So projecting confidence implies that you're already convinced you're going to get what you want, which subtly influences the other person to give it to you. Let me repeat that. So when we project confidence, that implies we're already convinced we're going to get what we want. We've got that confidence going into that particular situation. And that in and of itself tends to influence the other person to give us what we want. Uh, Additionally, most people are attracted to and like people who are confident. So, So we have to incorporate this principle of liking and liking is highly persuasive. I mean, people buy things from people they like. People go out on dates with people they like. I mean, that would be silly to, to go out on a date where if, if you obviously don't like that person. Um, people are more willing to listen to people they like. Um, so we, But what we have to do is we have to be really, really careful not to let projecting confidence tip into arrogance. Because once that tips, it can be incredibly off-putting to the other person. And you'll find that you'll become less persuasive in the attempt to be persuasive in the event that this projection of confidence tips into arrogance. So confidence allows us to 
uh, demonstrate that on some level, we, we know what we're talking about. Heck, even if we don't fully know what we're talking about, being confident um, allows the other person to internalize that we actually know something about what it is we're talking about. And then with liking, this is fascinating because people will ultimately rate you higher in their, in their mind whenever they uh, like you more. And I said this in a previous podcast where if you're in an interview and you get the interviewer talking more, they actually have a more favorable impression of you. Another way of saying that is they like you more and it gives you a better chance of actually landing the job. So projecting confidence, not arrogance. That's number one. Uh, number two is how to introduce your argument. Now, it's been long held that in order to persuade someone, we need to introduce a logical argument. But that isn't necessarily the case, depending on who you're attempting to persuade. We need to know enough about our audience to know which approach to take. So a logical argument may work for some, but not others. Uh, an appeal to emotion may work for some, but not others. So to persuade, we need to flex our style, you know, flex in air quotes. For example, if someone fundamentally agrees with your argument, but disagrees on the details, uh, a logical, rational, straightforward, direct approach tends to work fairly well. If, however, we don't know our audience well, or we don't know them, uh, or, or we know them too well, such as our spouse or our, our, our best friend, you know, etc. And the topic is potentially sensitive, controversial, or incendiary, it's likely more effective to use an indirect approach with an appeal to emotion. Now, it should be noted that emotional appeals tend to be stronger than rational, logical ones and require a higher degree of mental agility in the moment to be persuasive. So let me differentiate really quickly between direct and indirect approaches. If you know your audience and you have an idea that they fundamentally agree with what it is that you are attempting to persuade them on, coming right out with it is an effective approach. And then what you do is after you, you make your claim, then you justify it after the claim has been made. That's a direct approach. Now, if your audience uh, is unknown to you, or you're not, or you're, you're, not necessarily sure where they stand on a particular thing, or you know them too well, you know exactly where uh, they stand, but you're potentially dealing with a sensitive or inflammatory topic, an indirect approach can actually be more persuasive where you're actually uh, entering into the conversation, building a case for what it is you're trying to persuade them on, and then uh, landing the punchline at the end of that. So that's how you differentiate between direct and indirect approaches when it comes to persuasion. Number three, we have to address WIFM. And if you're not familiar with that acronym, it's W-I-I-F-M. This really should be the first consideration. It stands for what's in it for me. So whether certain groups of people like to admit it or not, people are fundamentally self-interested. We are. We're fundamentally self-interested, and I'm not necessarily sure there's anything fundamentally wrong with that, provided that we're rationally self-interested. I mean, if we're self-interested to the point where we 
engage in selfish behavior that manipulates or exploits someone else for our personal personal gain, clearly that's a problem. But what I mean by rational self-interest is this idea that it's okay for me to be self-interested provided that I work cooperatively with other people, that there is mutual benefit gained by virtue of engaging in that relationship or that encounter. So in order to persuade anyone, you must show the other person benefit. The other person, um, in order for the other person to really validate our argument or buy our product or, I mean, pick something, right? If they don't see any value in what it is you're attempting to persuade them on, they just won't, uh, they just won't uh, move forward with you, whether it's an idea or a product. You know, so for, for example, if you're marketing a product or service, price is only an issue in the absence of value. And what you're trying to do is persuade a prospective customer to buy your product, but there has to be enough value uh, added there. The value proposition has to be enough for people to justify the price. And if it's not the case, that's when price becomes an issue. And the same is true uh, with trying to become more persuasive in other areas. So, but we have to remember our first consideration should be how we communicate, how how what we're trying to persuade them on is beneficial to the other person. So what's in it for them? Um, and what does the other person stand to gain? That's really where we want to uh, make sure we land the plane on this. And in many ways, this ties into the idea of reciprocation, right? So when there is something, something given or something proposed that where another person actually stands to gain, there is this psychological disequilibrium that gets created where the other person feels feels as though they need to repay the obligation. And uh, I mean, that's fundamental. If you pay someone a compliment, it's not coincidental that they pay you a compliment fairly quickly back. If you were given something, let's say a sample at a, a store, maybe it's a piece of chocolate or something, uh, it's not coincidental that chocolate sales during that trip to the grocery store increase. So when we're attempting to persuade someone, one of, one of the other things we want to do is to make sure they feel good about the interaction. Um, and people say yes to, to other people based on how, um, how they're made to feel. And it's, you know, less about, less about what we say in many cases, but uh, not only how we say it, but how other people feel about it. So make sure the first consideration is addressing what's in it for me, more specifically, what's in it for them. Number four, priming or social priming. Now, we have to be really cautious with this one. So as I explain this, this will make more sense. So priming is a psychological phenomenon where exposure to one stimulus influences how a person responds to a related stimulus. And that sounds super complicated. It's really not. I mean, priming is, um, I mean, in effect, what you're doing is you're planting seeds for introducing an argument or a request that for a later time. I mean, this is why uh, we, we really need to take caution because it can be perceived as highly manipulative uh, and it, it can and be, it, but it's incredibly effective because the other person has a tendency to believe the idea, concept or thought 
that was introduced was theirs all along. Uh, it, it creates an association of sorts in people's minds because our brains are highly adaptive to recalling information that is most readily available. So priming serves as a way to, to do that, and it can be incredibly uh, persuasive. So for example, imagine you're a hiring manager and you're getting ready to make a, a, a hiring decision because uh, you've whittled the candidate pool down to your final two. And you bump into your manager uh, in the break room, and this person just got out of a, an executive meeting and, and lets you know, hey, look, you know, uh, corporately, we're, we really want to push this diversity initiative. We want to have more diversity within the, the workforce, particularly within uh, leadership. Uh, and just keep that in the back of your mind as you make your final decision. Well, whether that person intentionally did that or not, uh, did that on purpose or not, it, with regard to priming, you were primed. And that absolutely will enter into your thought process as you finalize your decision between those two candidates. So whether it's intentionally priming someone or unintentionally priming someone, we really, really do need to uh, be cautious with that approach, but it is highly persuasive. Number five, use flattery. And not what I'm not saying is be fawning and, or be disingenuous, but using flattery is, is one of the oldest tricks in the book when it comes to persuading anyone. We have to be aware, though, that most people can pick up on this quickly and anticipate that you're trying to get something from them. So being overt with flattery uh, can be a non-starter when it comes to being persuasive uh, because people see through that, you know, again, fairly quickly. Instead, you need to be subtle while you stroke another person's ego. I mean, I mean, after all, that, that's what flattery is. I mean, you're stroking someone's, uh, someone else's ego. So in order to be subtle, the flattery really does need to be genuine. And it relates to the age-old adage, people don't remember what you tell them, rather they remember how you make them feel. And that does tie back uh, to the notion of reciprocation, whereby people feel a sense of obligation to repay the flattery by giving you what you want. And I mentioned um, a, this a moment ago, this idea of psychological disequilibrium. We like certainty. Uh, we, we, we like knowing what we can uh, expect. And whenever there's a compliment paid or heck an insult paid, or we're given something without asking, uh, we move from a psychological, psychologically equal, equal, or uh, we move from psychological equilibrium into psychological disequilibrium, where we feel uh, uncomfortable in that moment, and we feel the need to repay that obligation. And so that makes sense. Uh, when it comes to flattery, the other person will feel that sense of psychological disequilibrium, and they'll be more likely to give us what we want. When done well, flattery is highly persuasive, but again, we don't want to... Um, we don't want to fall prey to fawning or certainly not being disingenuous with the flattery. And then finally, number six, consistency. This is not sexy, but it's really cool. If you want to be wildly successful in life, consistency is key. I mean, high performing employees are incredibly consistent. People that, um, that are healthy and well physically are incredibly consistent. 
So consistency is key. It's not sexy, but it can be really cool. And when it comes to other people, when they know what they can expect from you, that makes you more persuasive. So consistency allows others to feel confident knowing that you'll follow through on what you'll say you'll do. And being consistent helps reduce the level of uncertainty in the other person. And since the majority of people strive for greater certainty in their lives, if and when they know what to expect from you, they become more certain about you. And that increases the likelihood of you being persuasive. So in effect, consistency serves to motivate their behavior in your favor. So what you might do whenever you're attempting to persuade someone is um, is asking a question, something like, have, have I ever let you down? Or, you know, I got this, right? It's, a, it's ultimately a reinforcement of your consistency as someone else. So, um, you know, imagine you're, you want to get some, some time off from your manager uh, and, you know, you ultimately want them to, uh, to approve that. You might, uh, you might enter into it saying, you know, um, you, you know, I, I'm knocking out this particular project. You know, I got this, um, you know, after the request is made to take some time off. And they, they may be a little leery about giving you the time off, but they're not leery about the fact that you follow through on whatever it is you're going to say you're going to do before you end up leaving. So that gives them that sense of confidence. So as we put a bow on another episode of the Quest for Life podcast, let's revisit the ways to persuade anyone. So number one, projecting confidence, not arrogance, and making sure that we don't tip into arrogance that becomes off-putting, that disallows people from liking us. We want to project confidently. We want to operate under the assumption that we're going to get what we want, all the while uh, pursuing you know, this dynamic where people like us. Number two, how you introduce your argument is incredibly important. You have to decide who your audience is and how they're going to internalize what it is you're going to be trying to be uh, persuading them on. So do you take a direct approach? Do you take an indirect approach? Do you use a logical argument versus an appeal to emotion? These are these are big considerations when you uh, when you attempt to persuade people. Number three, and this really is the first consideration. Uh, despite the fact that it's number three on the list, you have to address with them. You have to address what's in it for me, more specifically, what's in it for them, right? People need to know what benefit they derive out of what it is that you're trying to persuade them about. Number four, priming or social priming. As I emphasized earlier, we have to be really cautious with this. So as to ensure it doesn't come off as manipulative to other people, but this is a highly effective um, approach to persuasion. Number five, using flattery, making sure that that's, it's genuine, um, understanding that people remember how we make them feel rather than simply what we tell them. So um, use it genuinely, be subtle with it. Um, you know, it's, it's not this type of situation where you go into your manager and like, hey, you look really nice today. Can I leave an hour early? No, no, it, it has to be more subtle than that. And so whenever you, um, you want to make a request to leave early, say something like, I know you're flexible, but I wanted to, I wanted to run it past you anyway. 
right? So that gives them a sense of, uh, of, of feeling of importance. And in many ways, uh, it's, a, it's that subtle ego stroke. And then lastly, we have consistency. And it's, uh, it, it's not sexy, it's, it, but it's really cool when people know that they can depend on you. Um, and the, the, you know, the reality is um, being uh, consistent in combination with any of these other, uh, these other strategies uh, allow us to become more persuasive. And so one final note, uh, I said uh, persuasive, not man manipulative or exploitative. So let me repeat that. We're talking about persuasion, not manipulation or exploitation. Being persuasive is not about hurting other people, but rather about getting what you want from others and with both of you not being worse off. So let me repeat that final point. Being persuasive is not about hurting others. It's not about manipulation, exploitation, or selfishness. It's okay to be rationally self-interested, provided that both of you are not worse off for having engaged uh, in that uh, in interaction or conversation. And as usual, it, this is all food for thought, my fellow questers. Be sure to keep telling your friends about the show. You're making a difference in the show's growth. I really appreciate that. Consider leaving a five-star rating and writing a review. And you can contact the show at thequestforlife.com, thequest4life.com. And as always, thank you for joining the conversation.